I've said this publicly before, my, my greatest fear is living an inconsequential life. You know, we don't, we don't get much time on this earth. Uh, and what if it, you know, just went by and you didn't actually have a positive impact? This episode features a conversation with Jason Foster. Jason is a dynamic leader with over 20 years of experience in the healthcare and technology sectors across the US, UK, and Europe. As the chief executive officer of Ori Biotech, he spearheads the company's efforts in revolutionizing cell and gene therapy manufacturing technology. Through digital transformation, Ori Biotech's technology is automating and standardizing cell and gene therapy manufacturing. As a result, their system facilitates an innovative progression from preclinical stages to large-scale commercial production for therapy developers. The production's advanced hardware, intuitive software, and detailed analytical tools is designed to boost production's efficiency and reliability, all while simultaneously reducing cost. This advancement is pivotal in scaling up the production of critical therapies facilitating their accessibility to a broader range of patients globally. In the medtech sector, the significance of people extends far beyond the confines of a single company. It's not merely the internal team that propels a business forward. Success also hinges on a network of partners, including collaborators from other organizations, local government, and the broader healthcare ecosystem. These diverse contributors, ranging from researchers and specialists to external stakeholders, all play a vital role. They are more than just a workforce or partners. They are integral to embodying and advancing the company's mission. In medtech, the collective efforts and alignment of all these people towards a purposeful mission are what truly differentiates and drive successful ventures. This holistic approach to embracing people in every aspect of the ecosystem is what marks the path to meaningful progress in healthcare. This is Favorable Environments, a podcast sponsored by the USD Discovery District. And now, here's Jason Foster. Sure. Yeah, and as someone who ended up being the CEO of a, a biotech or biology related company who started out in politics. It's a little bit of a confusing journey. Everything sounds, you know, very well planned when you look at it in retrospect. But uh, I, uh, I sought as a young starry eyed lad coming out of, of university to change the world. And where do you go to change the world? You go to Washington, DC, of course. And, and that's where all the important decisions are made. So uh, went to, uh, grew up in Richmond, Virginia, went to school an hour away at, at the University of Virginia, which is in Charlottesville, um, and then moved to Washington, D.C. after that. And this is um, 1997 or so. And very quickly learned that actually Washington is, is not <laughs> where the big changes are made in the world. When you get to see the sausage being made, it's a pretty ugly process. So quick, I was working at the time in healthcare policy, uh, and we were there when there were a couple of big kind of major so uh, major elements of healthcare policy changed during that time and watching that happen was fascinating. Uh, but I also quickly realized that it was really the private sector that was driving the changes um, and, and mostly Washington was reactive and so decided it might make sense to get to the business side of healthcare and that might be a more uh, 
place to actually have a, have an impact. Um, so went back to business school, as you said, at Columbia in New York City, which was a an eye opening experience from a kid who grew up. You know, I wouldn't say Richmond, Virginia is really the country, but I grew up in the far west of it. Kind of actually, I, my house abutted a farm, so I spent a lot of time in the woods building like you know stick teepees and 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 you know other playing you know shooting with my bb guns shooting the imaginary bad guys and all that stuff so you know I was, I was a country kid so moving to new york city was a was a major step um in my evolution as a person and really enjoyed it i mean i think i moved up in august of 2001 um which um obviously was a, only a few weeks before 9 11 happened and you know besides the obvious negative um you know, impacts of that particular event it was a wonderful time to be in New York. It was a great time. You know, people were proud to be New Yorkers and were supporting their community and supporting their neighbors. And um, it was a lovely time to be there and really enjoyed my time uh, in New York. Uh, after a while, the the tall buildings and the uh, the sights and smells of New York City, as I say, uh, started to close in on me. And uh, we decided to, my wife and I uh, decided to move out of the city and move back home to Richmond, Virginia. And start a family and buy a house and i'm sure there was a white picket white picket fence and a dog planned at some point um and uh when we had our daughter uh in 2007 i joined a and right before the year before that i had joined a, a specialty pharmaceutical company so small molecule pharmaceutical company um you know manufacturing the tablets that we would buy at the pharmacy um and this area was in focused in addiction medicine um, and so this company is now called Indivir. They were focused in opioid dependence, which as everyone in the U.S. certainly knows has been a major challenge uh, for the health system in, in the U.S. Um, and so was a very early in the team there. I was one of the first five or six members of the management team of that business. Uh, we grew that business to uh, 400 people uh, from about five of us in four years. So from 2006 to 2010. Um, by that time we were, my wife and I were pregnant. Oh, she, she was pregnant. I was sort of along for the ride. Uh, we were, we were about to have a, a second child. Uh, and the company that I was with at the time said, Hey, do you want to move to London, uh, and start our European business? And you know, what better time? I've got a two-year-old, my wife's pregnant. We just bought a house. Fantastic. You know, timing. Uh, but we decided, yeah, what a great adventure. So we, we decided to do that. Um, and then ended up in London in 2010. Um, helping to build a, a brand new European operation for that business. And that found me in a different European country every week. Uh, went from, you know, Madrid to Munich to Milan all in the same week, which was a fantastic. Uh, I speak, I, you know, I, I barely speak English. Uh, I don't speak any other languages very well. I can understand French if, I, if required. Uh, but, you know, it's just an awesome time to be, you know, going experience those cultures in, in Europe and, and getting that kind of global business experience. And, you know, every company not only is culturally the food, the language, the culture is different, but the business practices are very different. So it was a great education for me. Um, and we developed that business into about a 200 person business um, and eventually carved that whole business out into from its parent company and listed it on the exchange here in London. Uh, and that point had been in the business for almost 10 years and I was tired, um, decided, um, I wanted to get back to my roots kind of building businesses. And, you know, when you're part of the management team for a global publicly traded company that has 1100 people in 37 countries, it's a very different beast than a, a startup or a scale up. So 
uh, in 2016, decided to leave that business and uh, work with entrepreneurs and funders to try and, you know, have an impact all in healthcare. I spent my whole career in healthcare. Um, it's easy to link the, the impact of what you do on the business side when you're in healthcare, certainly. And so always have stayed in that field. And subsequently, I've gotten involved in a lot of interesting businesses. I'm an angel investor, so I sit on the board of three or four companies. I have a portfolio of 18 companies that I work with, all, again, in the health tech space. Uh, and I'm now uh, have been for the last four years the CEO of a company called Ori Biotech. I'm sure we can talk a lot about what Ori's doing, which is because it's super interesting in this totally new emerging field of personalized medicines. So it's been a, a 20 odd year journey uh, from from there to here. It's been fun and uh, I've learned a lot and, and hopefully we've had a, a small impact on healthcare provision for, for some, some proportion of the patients out there. You know, as I w look through uh, and listen to some of your other conversations and, and look through your resume, a couple things stand out to me. Number one, uh, I think you and I are probably close to the same age, although you don't look, uh, uh, if I'm guessing our age uh, is similar, you don't look it. And number two, you had some experience in the dot-com world, correct, in, in the early 2000s? I did. I did. My first startup blew up fantastically in uh, late 2000s. Actually, yeah, well, that was a that was an interesting time to be alive. And yeah, I'm about to be 49 in a week or two, so um, so yeah, we may, we may be of the, of the same generation. That I well, it looks like I need to move to London because uh, South Dakota has maybe been a little harder on me than London has on you. Um, you know, with your background in in uh, you know startups and obviously in, in angel investing, uh, would you say has that brought a certain level of opportunity or? Is it the fact that you've got just this diverse background that really lends itself to being in these the startup environment? It's interesting. I think, you know, the, the kind of phrase you make your own luck a little bit, it's sort of, you know, where you put yourself, the people you associate with, the kind of things you get involved in. Um, when I left that business, which is called Indivier now, so after that 10 and a half year journey, I was, um, I really didn't know anybody in London. I sort of, you know, had my head down. We had a young family. Uh, didn't have any family support in London, so it's sort of my wife and I and our kids and our and my business, and that was the whole universe, you know, uh, from 2010 to 2016. And so when I kind of picked my head up and said, you know, what's next? Um, you know, just really tried to go out and meet people and add value where I could. And you know, uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome is a real thing, right? No matter how successful or not you've been, you're sort of like, well, you know. Am I good enough to do this thing? Or can I add value here? Or am I going to make any sense? Or, you know, all those things that we sort of, as human beings, you know, question our, our own capability. But um, just really started going out and meeting entrepreneurs and asking them, you know, what do you need? What's happening? You know, what can I learn from you? What can I have? What can I help with? And in every conversation, trying to add value where I could. And, you know, for every person I met said, well, you know, are there two people you could recommend that I meet next? And, you know, it was through this kind of network effect of, going out. I had a lot of coffee. I don't even drink coffee. I had a lot of coffees back then in, in 2016, walking around wired on caffeine all the time. But, um, you know, just having a lot of conversations and seeing uh, where could I help. And, and I think, you know, the things you learn along the way, building businesses, having a building a business that fails, it's a great learning experience. And building a business that's successful in the U.S. was a great learning experience. Building a, a, an extension of that business that was successful in Europe was a great learning experience. And some of the things you learn along the way, Wow, lo and behold, they are useful to, to somebody. Um, so yeah, and I think also the willingness to get stuck in, like roll your sleeves up. I think there's a lot of people 
uh, one of the things I tell my my founders, my my entrepreneurs is, you know, I usually say it in much ruder terms, so I'll say it politely for you is, you know, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Um, and it's your job to separate the wheat from the chaff. There are some gold nuggets out there, but if you don't know which ones are which, you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, waste a lot of time trying to figure out which one is out. So, you know, just really started, got to know some entrepreneurs, offered to invest, you know, put some skin in the game. So, you know, it shows that you're serious. You're not just trying to take, you're willing to give if you're, you know, willing to try and help and, and roll your sleeves up and put a bit of your own cash to work. And, and that's how it started. And so every, you know, role that I've had since then, every board position, uh, the role with Ori, um, all of that came from that sort of networking experiment to say, well, you know, put myself out there in the ecosystem and see if I can add value anywhere. And if I can, I'm going to try and do that and, and, uh, try and meet people that are, that are like-minded and just keep pushing forward. But, uh, yeah, it was a little bit scary, you know, leaving a job that I've been in for 10 and a half years in a a new ecosystem, not really knowing that many people and trying to build a new network and a new opportunity. How did you arrive at the doorstep of, of Ori Biotech? How did that come to fruition based on kind of that, that transition period? Yeah, it was really kind of in that time. So I left Indivier in the middle of 2016. Um, I hung out my shingle as an independent consultant trying to kind of get involved in stuff and started working with some private equity and venture capital backed companies, both with the funds themselves and then with their portfolio companies. My expertise, you know, such as it were, is marketing operations commercial. Um, it's kind of where sales uh, market access in the, in the pharma world. These are the kinds of things I've been doing for a while. Um, so that's really where I could add the most value. Um, and so working with some of their portfolio companies on, you know, launch strategy or commercial strategy or fundraising and doing those kinds of things. Um, and then I went, was working with a family office trying to put together a health tech strategy for them. You know, they wanted to invest in early stage businesses. Uh, and so got to see a lot, lots and lots of business. I think from, from about 20, let's say to early 2017 through, um, mid 2018, I probably saw 5,000 health tech businesses, early stage businesses, like really looked at a lot of different opportunities and probably personally invested in maybe about, you know, eight or 10 of them. Um, and had met the team at Ori Biotech as a potential investor. Uh, so an investor friend of mine said, Hey, I know these guys, they're doing something cool. You should come meet them. Um, and so, you know, I was sitting on the other side of the table as an investor and getting pitched to by the, by the founding team and was just blown away by the opportunity in selling gene therapy. I don't know how familiar your listeners may be. And in this modality, you know, there's the, the first generation of the first pillar of medicine was those small molecules, those tablets that we put in, the, in bottles and sell at the pharmacy. The second pillar, the second generation was biologics. You know, we know the kind of age of biologics and we've seen lots of great uh, advancement in treating cancer and other types of diseases with these biologic therapies. There's now a new generation of medicines which effectively are cellular based. They're living medicines. Uh, and you might be familiar with, you know, rare diseases as a category. Or certainly everyone knows cancer and oncology. So we're applying this new modality to treat those kinds of intractable diseases that have you know, very poor prognosis for patients. So this is, it was a totally new area that I had not, I mean, not a, I'm not a scientist as you no doubt have figured out already, uh, but I was blown away by, wow, we can actually take a patient's immune cells. We can teach them effectively how to fight cancer and give them back to that same patient and cure their cancer. That is incredible. 
Um, so I was really excited about the opportunity. Um, and it just so happened that the founding team, they're both uh, very deep expertise in cell therapy, regenerative medicine, you know, biochemical engineering. These guys have been, they were professors at, you know, at the University of College London. And I said, well, you know, they're really good at that bit. I could maybe help on the fundraising and the operation, the commercial bit, there's a potential good synergy here. Um, so we went out and, and we tried to raise together a seed round and eventually put together a seed round for the company, which is about $10 million, which ended up closing in, uh, in the summer of 2019. And that's when I officially joined full-time at Ori as one of my lead investor jokes. At some point I lost my mind and pledged not only my financial capital, but my human capital as well. Uh, and that's, I think that's a fair summary <laughs> of what happened. <laughs> That's, a, that's a, you know, amazing. And I, I always look back, you know, you never know what introduction, what connection is going to lead to the next uh, project. Um, and so, uh, Jason, as you as you sat on the other side of the table and realized that this was something you were interested in, was there something that you used, a rubric or some sort of metric to, to kind of decide whether you were interested in it? And, and then also, did that change when you said, I now want to be a part of this team. Um, I wish I could say it was much more scientific than it was. I, I'm, I do. A, I've done a lot of lived a lot of my life, and uh, just going with your gut, like you know, can I work with these people? Is there something here or not? Like it just, there was, I just had this feeling. Actually, you know, the the investors that I was working with said no to the investment, and they just weren't interested. Uh, too much risk, not their risk profile, whatever it is, and that you know that that's very very common. Um, but I just couldn't get the company out of my mind. This was maybe like, you know, October, November, 2018. And by January, I'm like, guys, you know, I think I want to try and help here. I would, this is something that I really am, am interested in. Uh, and as I said, I'd seen, you know, several thousand opportunities before this one. It wasn't as though you know, I was anxious for a full-time job, um, but it was just something compelling about this, uh, this particular opportunity, this modality, the fact that we had cure for, cures for cancer. Um, and, you know, I always say it was equally kind of horrifying by the fact that we had cures for cancer that patients really can't access because they can't be manufactured. They're too expensive. They're too hard to make. Uh, so even today, we have effectively cures for, for leukemia, for lymphomas, myelomas, um, a lot of the blood cancers. We're studying it across across the spectrum of, of different applications in solid tumors and other diseases. And that just wasn't good enough. So if you're going to go all in on something, you know, you want it to potentially have a big impact. And, you know, I learned about myself at some point in that journey, this, you know, kind of journey and through those startups is that I'm a builder. I like to build stuff and being involved early and having a big impact is part of the what gets me out of bed in the morning. So I think, you know, our mission as a company is to enable widespread patient access to life-saving cell and gene therapies. We want these products to be first-line therapy and available for everyone. Uh, and that's enough to get me out of bed and get me excited. Yeah. One of your comments, I think, was uh, from your perspective, what motivates people? Autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? Uh, can you speak to us a little bit about how that translates from your your world and then ulti- ultimately what you're doing with, with Oreo Biotech? Absolutely. Um, and all apologies to Dan Pink, whose work it was, who and he published a great book called Drive, which describes this in detail. Um, and reading it, I just think, you know, it, you sort of form these kinds of theses throughout your life that you just kind of things that you believe from your experience and and you sort of i, I would have never maybe called it those names uh but when i read it and sort of studied it a bit i said this is this makes perfect sense to me this is what 
motivates me and, and motivates people. I, I understand that. And I, and I never understood well, or I could never rationalize why organizations put the types of structures that they do in place that tend to have perverse effects. So it's, we wanted to motivate the team, but actually it turns into either causing internal competition or demotivating the team, or there's all these, you know, the incentivization and these kinds of things are so complicated. And the way Dan Pink describes it, it's just, it, it makes sense. It just makes sense. You know, what do people, you know, if you've ever been on a team, uh, which of course you have in a school team or a sports team or a work team, and you think back, what were those best teams where I just felt like I was alive and, and things were working and you're kind of the, the chicks and Mahaley context of being in flow, like, you know, the back of the Michael Jordan, the basket was this big, you know, what was that like? What was the, what were the conditions that we found ourselves in? And, and those conditions, autonomy, there was autonomy there. I was self-directed. I was sort of, no one was ever looking at leaning my, over my shoulder, telling me what to do. They're like, go climb that hill. And we're like, let's go. You know, it's that kind of thing where we're all, you know, have the ability to, to, uh, to add value in the ways we want. And also that, you know, we're learning. I think human beings like to learn. We like to get better at things. We like to improve our skills. So you want to be around other really talented people because you can learn from them and they'll challenge you to be the best you you can be. And, you know, so it's like what, not always why the best individual, the five best individuals make the best team. Right. And this is kind of concept of I'm getting better at my particular thing that I like that I'm good at. And then purpose, you know, I think, you know, we want to, we want to have an impact in, in our lives. I think that, you know, I've said this publicly before, my, my greatest fear is living an inconsequential life. You know, we don't, we don't get much time on this earth. Uh, and what if it, you know, just went by and you didn't actually have a positive impact. Um, and so um, purpose is an easy one when you work in healthcare for, I've worked in healthcare for my whole career. Um, and those things align quite well and they, they align quite well with they become a pillar of Ori's culture and how we think about hiring, how we think about uh, motivating our team, how we think about retaining our team, how we think about making sure we've got talent density to use Reed Hastings phrase. Um, you know, Reed Hastings is a guy who invented Netflix and he wrote a great book called No Rules Rules on this topic. Um, and really, you know, top talent likes to be around other top talent. You know, you want to be in that situation where we're all in the trenches and we're, everybody's working hard and everybody's learning from each other and everybody's delivering massive results. And if you can align some of those pieces uh, and also underpin it with uh, a culture of trust, you know, wrapping around, the wrapper we put around it is psychological safety. But, you know, this idea of, you know, can I bring my real self to work? You know, we did a session yesterday and there's all kinds of masks that we put up, you know, you know, if you ask someone, can you really be the real you when you go to work every day? Oftentimes the answer is no, because they're afraid of being discriminated against, or they're afraid of being, you know, unlike their peers or whatever the things are, not doing the things that will lead to a promotion or, and so if you can put some of those pieces together and that, and that's, you know, three different areas of study um, that, you know, I find incredibly interesting and have put those together in a way that I feel like is driving worry in a direction where, we're achieving some of those goals. We're doing big things. We're moving quickly. You know, the normal development timeline for the type of technology that we're building would be 10 years. Uh, if we do our job right, we'll have done, done it in five and a half and bring it to patients. And the first, you know, clinical trial patients would be treated potentially with the technology in late 2024, early 2025. That's going to be awesome. You know, what a great milestone for the company. So these are the types of things that, you know, are really, um, you know, things that you kind of pick up along the way and you believe in and you kind of weave 
uh, weave a tapestry of, of your life and things that, that are important to you. And Farlan, who's the founder of Ori, who I met on that very first day, um, he, he said this to me yesterday. He said one of the best uh, meetings that we had early on was we spent two hours telling each other what we hated about all the places that we worked before. <laughs> and that was a great way to say, well, what is the opposite of that then? What, you know, what is the converse that we want Ori to be? Uh, and I think that's, you know, kind of where the direction we're headed. And, and it's something, you know, culture is alive. The organization is alive and it's constantly changing and you have to, to deal with its constant movements. And hopefully we're continuing to move in the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's obviously great insight uh, because we do, I think, a lot of times in my career and, and uh, my peers, we focus on some of the things that don't work. Um, for those of us who typically sit in the back of the room, uh, can you give us a, kind of a, an explanation of what Ori Biotech does and how you are changing the world? So Ori is a cell and gene therapy manufacturing technology company. And what that means is we build the systems, the actual physical hardware, software, consumables that will take a patient's immune cells and will turn them into a therapeutic. So if you take your T cells as an example, we put them through a process that involves the Ori technology. And then out the other side will come a therapeutic that can potentially cure cancer or rare diseases or whatever you know your therapeutic is intended to do so we don't actually develop therapeutics ourselves we work with academic researchers with contract manufacturers small biotech companies and large pharma to take their products help them develop them more quickly help them get them into clinical trials more quickly help them get them through that process get them approved uh, and get them to commercial scale so that we can make them higher throughput. We can make more of them. We can make them for dramatically lower costs and we can make them much more reliably so we don't have so many errors in the process that causes a batch to fail. Uh, and that's ultimately what Ori's doing. So we should be able to hopefully deploy our technology all over the world in manufacturing sites at academic centers to develop and manufacture these products for patients anywhere they need them. Jason, what does that interaction look like uh, between Ori, Ori Biotech and, for example, somebody who uh, is is would be a partner in helping that commercialization? How do you how does Ori Biotech kind of envision how it then becomes the platform, uh, the preferred platform, or the standard of care? So, uh, I can give you a, a real example that maybe help illustrate kind of the types of things that we do. So we've partnered with an organization which is called the Cell Therapy Manufacturing Center. It itself is a joint venture between MD Anderson, the large cancer center in Houston, uh, and National Resilience, which is a large uh, contract manufacturer uh, in the US. So those two organizations came together to form a joint venture um, to essentially, let's call it institutionalized manufacturing for cell therapies, but to do it close to the hospital. So MD Anderson, you might know, is the largest cancer center in the world. MD Anderson treats over 100,000 patients a year, which is more than Sloan Kettering, Mayo Clinic, and Fred Hutch combined. The second, third, and fourth, fourth center. It's massive, it's absolutely massive. Uh, and they're doing tons of clinical research. They're doing tons of actual you know, clinical uh, work. Um, so it's a, it's a massive institution. Uh, and so we have put technology in their offices, in their labs, in Houston, 
that will help them both develop products more quickly on behalf of the researchers at MD Anderson or their potential customers, but also they can do ultimately clinical scale and commercial scale manufacturing on the platform. So it just allows us to then essentially tech transfer our knowledge, our process in from elsewhere, any academic center somewhere or anywhere else. Uh, and they could do the manufacturing in a few short months, you know, on that site. If they're using our technology, hopefully we'll, we'll shorten the tech transfer times. And right now to take a process that's been developed elsewhere to another site often can take six to nine, maybe even 12 months just to get the process transferred. So the, all the, all the institutional knowledge, all the training, all the, the tricks of the trade take a while to convey because it's often human being to human being, you know, knowledge transfer often on paper. And so that takes time. Uh, with our system, it's fully digital. You essentially push the button, the protocol could go across, you know, anywhere in the world. And then you're training the remaining people on much, much less, much fewer parts of the process because a lot of it's automated. And so the, obviously the machine doesn't care where it is. It does the same thing no matter where it is. Um, and all the machines do the same thing. So, you know, this gives us the opportunity to replicate those processes much more efficiently. Uh, and so that's the type of collaborations that we're doing. We're also collaborating with a, a big pharma company who has a CAR-T program uh, with small biotech companies, one called Inceptor Bio in Raleigh, uh, which is looking at novel applications for, for cell therapies um, and combining them with You've heard of probably CAR-T, but they're building CAR-T and combining that with macrophage, so they call it CAR-M. That's a new approach that could might uh, yield results in solid tumors. So there's so much interesting science happening. There's over 700 companies doing research in cell therapy globally, or cell and genes, you know, uh, and over 2,400 clinical trials happening uh, today. So it's a massive amount of effort, a massive amount of money. There's been over $100 billion invested in cell and gene therapy alone in the last three years, uh, maybe four years. So it's a it's a massive area of study. And they're studying in things even beyond cancer and rare diseases. Think about like cardiovascular disease or type one diabetes or uh, autoimmune diseases like lupus uh, and seeing you know good early results. So this is an intervention that could have broad applicability across lots of different diseases. I, w I was just going to try and attempt to clarify for my small mind. Um, really, your platform could impact many different diseases or the the uh, the use uh, in many different applications. Correct? Absolutely. It's been specifically designed to be able to be used in lots of different cell types. So we, we are studying different immune cell types to address different types of diseases. So things like CAR-T we've talked about, there's also some things called TILs, there's TCRs, there's NKs, these are all different types of immune cells. Uh, and they all behave slightly differently. They all have different kind of biological characteristics, but we could potentially manufacture products using any of those as raw materials. Uh, and then it could be applied across any large array of diseases, the things we just described. Um, so yeah, it's really super interesting. And even sort of really, you know, hard, you know, type one diabetes, you think about, this is a, obviously a genetic condition, you know, where and all, many of us have experience with uh, both type one, of course, but also type two diabetes, um, you know, type one is genetic and inherited often uh, impacting people when they're very young and then they have it throughout their life. So. These are the kinds of diseases that could be uh, completely reversed, you know, um, which would be incredible to, to think about. That is amazing. Well, Jason, can you share with us uh, what the milestones that 
um, your organization has met, and then what's maybe on the horizon for for Ori Biotech? Um, so as every entrepreneur out there listening knows, there's lots of plates you have to keep spinning when you're in a small company. Um, and you might not, you know, if you're building something, if you're developing something, a, a product or a platform, uh, in our world, we're making physical things, we're making instruments, we're making consumables, we're making, you know, there's a software platform, there's a data platform. So when you have to manufacture stuff, um, that takes a, it takes a long, a long time, you know, if it's not necessarily... I think everyone wanted to be a SaaS business there for about five years because the economics are wonderful and the development times are short and you just kind of run fast. Um, this is actually making stuff. So there's a process to go through to do that. And you need to do it in a high quality way. You know, we have a quality management system that's validated, you know, 13485 quality system that we have to manufacture under and design our products under. So there's a certain amount of rigor that has to go into the process and you can't really cut corners. Um, so while we're doing all of that, of course, we need to raise money to pay for all that stuff. Uh, and so that's a lot of what I spend my time doing. Uh, and we need to find the best people to help us solve those problems that either we know we have or we anticipate we might have. So when I joined the company in 2019, I was the third employee. Um, we now have 83 people working in the business. So that was 2019 to now 2023. Uh, we've raised $140 million in capital from venture capital investors, both in the UK and the US. And these are kind of leading specialist investors who really fundamentally understand this space very deeply. And they've been a great support to the company. Um, and so you, know, you have to put all those pieces in place. You need the money, you need the people. You need the IP, the technical expertise, uh, and you know we've been developing those things kind of in parallel to to get to the to the end zone or the end game, which is in sight. I mean we're we're in the process now of transitioning from our a focus on R and D product development to a focus on commercialization. So you've got five or six early partners that are trialing the system pre-commercial. Uh, we presented some data from those partners uh, a couple months ago at uh, the meeting on the Mesa, uh, which is a, an industry meeting in California. Uh, and we'll marketing launch, so we'll have kind of our launch of the system starting in May uh, of 2024, which is exciting. So all that's very quickly on the horizon and hope to, as I said, be in, in clinical trials with a partner or two uh, by early 25 at the latest. So that's a super exciting uh, inflection point for the company and really why we've been doing all this hard work for so long is to make sure that patients can get treated uh, for these uh, with these amazing products and so that's that's where we're headed uh, but it, it isn't easy you know every every entrepreneur knows it's that's a tough journey and, and there's it's certainly a roller coaster and you know things like covid and things like the economic meltdown we're currently in yeah. none of that's helping uh, for sure but we keep we keep moving forward yeah um, when you when you look at your background, your experience with startups and in this space, um, is there what are the elements that are the variables that are needed for a company like uh, Ori Biotech or any of the others that you've been a part of to be successful in the environment that they're in, or potentially when they're considering uh, relocating to another ge geographical place, or even expanding their, uh, you know, their their market. What what factors or what variables are important? Obviously, you mentioned capital. I, I think is is one of the things. But uh, what would you say is is kind of the at the if you had a checklist? Yeah. I mean, it starts with people. It really does. I mean, if you're an early stage investor, you're looking at the founding team. Is this a team that 
you know, has the, has what it takes to go the distance, you know, do they have the skills Do they have the experience, you know, do we believe that they can do it? Because uh, investors know it's not easy and they know they're going to hit those bumps in the road. And, you know, do you have the resilience to dust yourself off and keep going? Um, so a lot, it all starts with people. Um, you know, when I met Farlon and the early team, I just wanted to join them. They were a team that I believed in, team that I wanted to be a part of, you know, that talent density of, of top top players that had a, had a big, big idea and a big mission. Uh, and it continues, you know, hiring the best people, retaining the best people. That's what makes a difference. The people makes it make the difference. And so a lot of times companies will locate where the talent is, you know, you go where the, go where the talent is because that's what you need to to drive your business. And so that should absolutely be a factor. Um, access to capital. I mean, capital is global these days. You know, I think COVID fundamentally changed the way we fundraise. You know, we were in the middle of raising our Series A when COVID hit. Uh, we kicked it off in January at JP Morgan Conference in San Francisco in 2020. By, you know, end of February, everybody's locked down. By March, April, May, no one is sure anyone is ever going to invest in anything ever again. Uh, and then by, you know, August, we had a term sheet and we were closing our Series A when people were like, oh, we just got to get on with it. So I think now you have, you know, access much more broadly to pools of capital that exist all over the world, you know, from the, the seat of your desk chair. And that's helped. I think that's, you know, we can we can have this conversation in a, in a way that we might have only been able to do in person at some point. Uh, and so that's helpful. But capital is, is a certainly an important ingredient. I mean, if my advice to any entrepreneur is if you can bootstrap your business, do it. If you can self-fund it, do it, because then you get to make all the decisions. Um, you know, when you invite investors to become stakeholders in your business, uh, when you accept their money, they have a say, you know, but by necessity, they have a, an opinion and, and it becomes a joint decision. And that can be great. They can add great value and their their expertise is often welcomed, but also it's you're not the only one who gets to make the call anymore. <laughs> so as an entrepreneur, don't take that decision lightly. I think there's there's become this these kind of weird uh, norms that have creeped into the, the, the system, which is like being a venture capital back startup is cool. And so people take money. They, they think the end game is getting venture backing and the end game is absolutely not <laughs> getting venture backing. You're going to have to fight incredibly hard to effectively get to the starting line for the next part of the journey, which is actually absolutely. developing your product and launching it and having it make a difference, you know, in our case, in people's lives or in whatever problem you're trying to solve. So don't, don't take that decision lightly, but capital is often required to be able to yeah. develop anything, anything that's meaningful uh, at a pace that you'd want to. Um, so focus on people first and, and focus on a problem that's worth solving. You know, I had an engineer say to me the other day, um, he doesn't want to have for his legacy to be the fact that he helped, he f was able to increase the length of time teenagers spent on TikTok by 14 minutes. Like that wasn't his life's ambition. And I was like, I understand that completely. Like you're a very talented person. Uh, and I don't, I, I can fully appreciate that. So. Yeah, do something like the world doesn't need the 17th dating app. Like, please don't put your efforts into that, solving that problem. It's already been solved. Do something that's going to impact. And, you know, climate change is a massive problem that we need to, you know, solve. Climate tech, there's tons of cool climate tech ideas and climate tech companies. There's health tech companies. There's all kinds of other things that you can invest your time in. Do yeah. something that's meaningful. You know, it's not just about making money for yourself. That's important. Of course, you need stability and you need to provide for yourself and your family. Uh, there's a lot of ways in this world to, to do that. And if you can have an impact and you can do something that has purpose, as we were talking about earlier, 
yeah apply your energies and efforts there you know that's that's a piece of advice i would give although you didn't ask me for it but i gave it to you no that's perfect that's perfect uh you know as as we close here uh, again wanting to to make sure that we have enough time for for your message what what would uh what would you want the world to know about jason foster and ori biotech what is uh what what is the the legacy or the lasting kind of uh, impression you want to leave um I mean, I think it is, uh, it's hard to predict. It's hard to predict where your future will take you. Um, it's important to trust yourself and just you make the best decision that you can at the moment with the information you've got. You know, and I think, you know, as when I was saying, it sort of all sounds very well planned out in retrospect when I tell the story. But in the moment, I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, what should I do? Should I go do this? Should I go do that? You know, uh, am I going to survive after I leave this company? I don't know. I've got a family to feed. Um, but you always regret those things that you don't do. That's, that's what people tell you often is that, you know, when you take the leap, you know, my wife, you know, to her credit, when she was five months pregnant, we had a two-year-old was like, are we ever going to regret moving to London? Probably not. Like, I can't really see a scenario where like, oh, that was a wasted two years or three years or whatever it was like, <laughs> wish we hadn't done that. You know, so take the risk, you know, take the risk, take a chance, put yourself out there. Um, you never know what kind of uh, exceptional experiences you might have and an impact you might be able to make. Um, and you'll probably regret it if you don't. So, so why not? You know, it's the, the risk of not doing it is probably much greater than the act of doing it. So I'd love for people to take that away from in their own, their own experience. And I think, you know, hopefully Ori, the story of Ori continues and, and does help achieve the mission of, of making sure that patients can get access this incredible new generation of therapies you know it's we could there could be a world where these therapies could cure things like type 1 diabetes or, or massively impact cardiovascular disease positively or you know there's a product approved yesterday in the uk uh, for sickle cell um, potentially a cure for sickle cell anemia which is a devastating disease for those that are impacted yeah. by it so we're in a golden age of biology and a golden age of medicine and the advances that are going to happen in the next 20 30 40 years are going to be unrecognizable for where we are today so you know find those areas that you're passionate about take that chance and go out there and make a difference i think you know that's what we all hope to do so why not why not you thank you for listening to this conversation with jason foster this podcast is sponsored by the university of south dakota discovery district The USD Discovery District is a newly established research park located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, committed to offering cutting-edge life science facilities to companies that are engaged in advancing life science, biotechnology research, and innovation. For more information, please visit usddiscovery.com. And if you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a five-star review. That would help us out greatly. Thank you.